Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Managing Director, Charts and Data Operations at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Going great, Keith. How about yourself? I am splendid because, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got oodles of chart news on... Oodles! Oodles! (laughs) uh, Oodles of chart news on Taylor Swift's huge debut on the Billboard 200 Albums chart as her most recent re-recorded album, 1989 Taylor's Version, launches at number one with the biggest week for an album in nearly a decade. Plus, on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, one of the album's From the Vault songs debuts straight in at number one, replacing Swift's own Cruel Summer. And she also takes over most of the top 10 with songs from the new album. We'll tell you all about it in just a second. He said there was oodles and he's not lying. Um, Also on the show, we are talking about the Beatles' last song, Now and Then. Now that we've had a chance to hear the song and watch the music video, what are our thoughts? Well, we'll talk all about that in just a few minutes. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up, on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, Taylor Swift's 1989 Taylor's version blasts in at number one, scoring the superstar her 13th number one on the tally. The set debuts with 1.653 million equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending November 2nd, according to Luminate. Now, that marks the largest week for any album by units earned since Adele's 25 launched with 3.482 million units in the week ending November 25th, 2015. Just making that number look even more ridiculous. I know. Than it already was. (laughs) Um, uh, Further, of... 1989 Taylor's version's first week units, straight, traditional, plain old album sales comprise 1.359 million of that sum. Uh, That is Taylor's single largest sales week for any of her albums. It surpasses her previous high, uh, which was with the original 1989 album when it debuted with 1.287 million sold in the weekend in November 2nd, 2014. So this is where I chime in to ask. Um, Midnight's also sold 1 million copies in its first week, Yeah, correct? it was over a million, yeah. And I remember we were like, whoa, I, I, we wondered whether artists would still sell a million copies in a week anymore given streaming, given the way people consume music now. And now Taylor has done it uh, twice in the span of about a little over a year. Um, And so, yeah, the answer is yes. If you're Taylor Swift, you can sell a million copies of an album still in 2022 and 2023. 
Yes. I mean, I think there's, I think there's, <laughs> I think there's a, and I point this out in my stories that I've written, you know, uh, throughout breathlessly. last, yes, breathlessly, <laughs> um, uh, last week. And then this Sunday when I did the, the finale piece, when she debuted at number one, but I'm sure there will be further stories about Taylor's amazing week coming to you on a billboard.com somewhere. Oh, they're on your, sure well, they're yeah. sure, they're sure well. Um, I pointed this out uh, that, oh, by the way, before I say this, uh, the debut of 1989 Taylor's version in terms of just straight sales is the sixth largest sales week of any album since Luminate, formerly Soundscan um, and other names, uh, started tracking sales in 1991. So that makes it even more incredible. However, big sort of asterisk ca- caveat uh, yes. is that she was able to cobble together this big sales week through 15 different physical iterations of this album, which is a, a, a pretty, I mean, like more variants than she's ever had for any of the re-record mm. projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of in line with what she did for Midnight's in terms of kind of the sheer wealth of versions that you could purchase um i don't have the number in front of me exactly of how many different versions there were of midnights there wasn't a clock this time i can tell you that much no there wasn't a clock (laughs) but she was she she did have this thing on the back of the 1989 album where you know if you put like four different versions together it would kind of display kind of a collage image and Mm. she was selling a uh a thing that you would like put a on, holder, a holder to put on your yeah. wall to kind of hold. So them not together. unlike the clock, then <laughs> actually, yeah. not okay. unlike the clock. So this time around, she did something. It was like a film strip esque sort of situation because 1989. The vibe of that is like you know pictures, Polaroid images, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sirens are going past me. I apologize. You're in a big city. It's big, all good. Big city. Apparently, there could be fires down the street. I don't know. <laughs> um, so there's you know it wasn't a clock. It's not, it's a clock, it's a clock. Now it's a film strip thing. But, <laughs> you know, when you said, oh, would, you know, when Adele did it, hitting a million, it's like, would anyone be able to do it again? And then Taylor did it with Midnight's and now with this album. The thing that Taylor did that Adele did not do with 25 is Taylor made sure there was a bajillion different ways for you to purchase the album. Because in the year 2023, Consuming music through a physical format is not how most people consume music anymore. Most people are likely streaming music. So and yet vinyl is having a moment. Yeah, it's but you know as we have as and I look I'm I'm not I'm not diminishing Taylor's achievement. I'm simply trying to put it in perspective because when we say, oh, Taylor's the only one that can do it. I'm like, Taylor made sure that she was able to have a chance to do it by Mm -hmm. ensuring that there were many different ways for her fans to purchase the album, including her super fans to purchase likely multiple copies of the same album in different colors, different thing, you know, different collectible CDs, different whatever. Look, I'm. I've done the same thing. I bought multiple copies of Madonna and Kylie Minogue for their most recent releases because I'm a crazy person who wanted to catch them all like they're Pokemon. I don't do that for everyone. I I do it for a couple artists with select releases. Yeah. Taylor just has a very, very large fan base that. Yeah. And I, and I certainly am not saying that every one of her fans is buying multiple copies of the album. I don't think that's really happening. 
I do think there are probably some fans that are like, I got to get all, you know, all the vinyls or all the CDs or both cassettes. Well, and it is literally her most popular album. Yeah. Like, you know, it previously was her um, highest selling and now it is even higher selling. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I should, um, I, so I there's should, that too. I should probably actually say like what these 15 ver- different versions are. Let's talk about it. So there are five different color vinyl variants, including a Target exclusive uh, color that also had a bonus track. Uh, tangerine. Sweet, <laughs> tangerine. And the bonus track was Sweeter Than Fiction. We talked about it last week. Uh, there are eight different CD versions, um, including some Target exclusive iterations of the album that had a poster folded up inside. And she also had two cassette versions. Each were, uh, if you've ever seen a cassette tape, as I speak to people who may have never actually interacted with a cassette, uh, there, oh. when you take the cassette out of its uh, holder, uh, the cassette on one side of the shell had one color and on the other side of it was another color. So it was literally split down the middle. So she had two different cassettes, each shared two different colors. So um, I don't know why she just didn't do four cassettes. Maybe that'll be the next time she does one of these albums. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, oh, and in addition to all that, she had two different digital versions of the album, the standard version. And then there was a deluxe edition that had the Kendrick Lamar enhanced version of the re-record of Bad Blood. So, right. Lots of different ways to buy the album. Um, that said, you know, uh, you, you, the, the Rolling Stones, you know, two weeks ago had like 30 different vinyl versions of their album, Hackney Diamonds. They sold 100,000 copies of their album. Um, you know, or about a hundred thousand. They also had a couple CD versions, you know, they had other, they had other ways to get it, but they aren't Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah. Putting them out doesn't guarantee their sale. Yes. And also we know from a lot of big artists, um, that, you know, lots of different variants and options are the norm as it's, well. Yeah. It's, it, it is typical for, it's typical for kind of a lot of superstar artists. I mean, I mentioned it in passing and then I then didn't follow up. Adele's 25, when it came out, it was available in one single solitary CD, one cassette tape, one vinyl LP, and then she had a limited edition box set that had a t-shirt inside. Oh, and a download, a download. That's it. Mm -hmm. She, there were no other bells and whistles no like five color variants like imagine how big her number could have been if right. she had gone even further with 25 right but right right at the time that was not her vibe and there's nothing against that <laughs> everyone yeah. does it it but, continues to not really be her vibe it's just her and a piano that's kind of her whole deal yeah um, her and a piano and one one variation so you know how long will this kind of like million selling thing continue to go on in the future I don't know. I mean, at some point, at some point, you think people might get sort of like exhausted from sort of, you know, all these different iterations and collectability. But then again, maybe they won't. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I think we'll see what fan bases are interested in continuing with this. Obviously, we still have two re-records on the table um, coming from Taylor herself. And then countless original new albums coming from Taylor. Like, I mean, the fact that Midnight's just popped out in addition to all of these re-records and the two pandemic albums, it's just, the woman is prolific. Yeah, I was, um, the, the word I was thinking yeah. of was, was prolific. Um, yep. Um, should I move on now? 
Yeah, let's move on. Oh, let's move on to more Taylor Swift chart news, please. Um, So (laughs) uh, over on the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart, uh, it's unsurprisingly a big week for Taylor. Uh, She holds eight of the top 10, seven of which are from 1989 Taylor's version, including the number one with a debut from Is It Over Now, Taylor's version from The Vault. This is one of the songs that was not on the original 1989 album. It was one of those vault songs that was mm-hmm. written during that era and she uh has given it its premiere recording with this new album and these are of course the songs that fans are going to rush to listen to first and foremost because they have never heard them before it's it's always fun and interesting to re-listen to your favorite songs from these re-recordings but the from the vault songs are where it's at and i think that is evidenced by the chart in yeah. front of us Um, It's her 11th number one on the Hot 100, and it replaces her own Cruel Summer. uh, And it's the second time Taylor has replaced herself at number one, and she remains the only woman to do so. Um, I think I remember the last time. Do you? I think so. I don't. I think it was during 1989. I think it was... um... Oh, like, I think it was Shake It Off into Blank Space. That makes sense. I think Blank Space and was number one in November. And I think she was the first woman to do it. Yeah, she's the only woman to do it. The only woman. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. Um, well, uh, for all of the uh, top 10 action on the Hot 100, visit Billboard.com. Um, you can see the chart itself. We have to bring one specific thing up in this top five. Uh, okay. When... And that specific thing is number five, which is Say Don't Go, which was co-written by Diane Warren. Oh, right. This so... is the song that we spoke about last week um, on the podcast talking about how, uh, you know, Diane and Taylor had written this song. Keith had talked to Diane about this song a decade ago. Keith didn't and... remember talking to Diane about this song. <laughs> but, but the Swifties did because they forget nothing. Um, but also we were like, it would be neat if you know diane had a new top 40 song on the hot 100 and i was like top 40 try top 20 try top five because it's number five on the hot 100 so So very cool for for diane warren i would say did we determine last week that diane warren's last top 10 was there you'll be by faith hill i think it was we didn't i don't think we talked about that um is that the case i think i believe it is the case and that was top 10 in 2001 um Wow. One moment. Let me just double check. So, yeah, we're talking about more than two decades ago. And also, since we're describing to our younger listeners what a cassette tape is, we can also say Diane Warren wrote so many hit songs uh, in the 80s, in the 90s, and obviously into the early 2000s and now has a has a new top five thanks to this re-release. So chart performance, um, it hit... Oh, it peaked at number 10 on the Hot So that was her last top 10 then. Yeah, so uh, hold on. Let me slack Gary. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get this answer by uh, the time the podcast is... Yeah. So the last time Diane Warren actually charted higher on the Hot 100 was in the year 2000 with I Turn to You by Christina Aguilera, which peaked at number three. Um, and then her next top 10 after that was There You'll Be by Faith Hill, which hit number 10. And then after that, she hasn't been in the top 10 till this week with Say Don't Go, Taylor's version from The Vault, which debuts at number five. Amazing. Well, congra- congratulations Amazing. to Diane, because, you know, it's where she belongs, if I'm being honest. So, all right. Switching gears away from Taylor Swift into uh, the Beatles, because they released a, a new 
slash old song. Um, we talked last week about how their newly released track Now and Then came to be. So now let's take a little listen to the Beatles' last song. Keith, we got to talk about this song. I will, I'll start by saying that um, my mom texted me that she broke into tears listening to this song. Oh, wow. And in my opinion, hearing that review, because I also got emotional about it, I feel like that is the strength of this song. Like, I think that it might not be, you know, it it isn't, in my opinion, as catchy as, as the songs that they released in the 90s. But the emotional weight of hearing, you know, these four men in different places in their lives coming back together again uh, because of this technology and because of, you know, this recording um, that existed. I feel like that is such a gift to Beatles fans that um, this does not need to be a, a, a smash hit song. This is just like this really sweet thing that we all got to experience together. Um, so that's kind of my take on, on, you know, hearing this song, but Keith, I know you're a huge Beatles fan too. So what did you think when you got a chance to listen to the song? Okay. So, I mean, I, I would say for the Beatles, I'm not like a super fan. I'm, I'm familiar with all of the hits. I know. Oh, I'm a super fan just for the record. Okay. So continue. (laughs) I mean, I just, I just don't want anyone to be like, oh, okay. So let's talk about those album cuts on that album. Like, I don't. I won't know that. <laughs> um, but I think me, like most people that are alive, tend to probably have an opinion, an informed opinion about the Beatles, because we've listened to a lot of their music, you know, in general. So I'm just putting that out there. For I don't... our whole lifetimes. Yes. Um, so I can agree with what Katie was saying, where like, you know, this song is sort of acting as an emotional um an emotional story point in yeah. the Beatles career where it's a feat of technology because it takes an old demo recording from the late 1970s by John Lennon pieces of guitar playing from the late George Harrison in 1994 I guess or 5 plus new contributions from the two surviving members of the Beatles, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr in 2022. And with technology, squishes them all together for a song that all four Beatles are on. Um, so when when you know the context of everything and understand the context of how it came to be, it makes it all the more impressive. I think yeah. if you just heard the song in isolation, it was like, here's the new Beatles track, and you don't know anything about the backstory, you you may just sort of be a little bit nonplussed by it, I suppose. It's because it, it's a little it's like a snoozy song. So you're not thinking this is going to be like it, I when I when I first heard it, which I am now allowed to say was earlier than when it was released. So I was biting my tongue hard as Keith was talking about it last week because I wanted to like chime in with like things I knew. But um, uh, when I first heard it, um, my, my takeaway was I loved how front and center John's voice is for this song. I mean, it, it feels 
like, you know, the three Beatles backing up this John vocal, which is a really lovely, you know, gift to be able to get, you know, because we lost him in the early 80s. Um, But I also um, was thinking this song is not going to, you know, replace any classic Beatles songs in like, my heart or you know like it's not going to be like become one of my top 10 Beatles songs of all time either I that having said that I'm like so happy that they made it and I wish that we could get more songs like this like I I, maybe I'm being greedy but the fact that they have been so like judicious about how they've released these songs I just you know I I'm used to or thinking of somebody like Prince who's got all this stuff in the vault and you know had what you know had all this music and it's like you want the Beatles vault to be endless too you want them to be able to find something um and pull it out and so that this doesn't have to be the last Beatles song as they are billing it you know yeah I I think it, it kind of feels like you know they they've done special editions of some of their classic albums that have had you know bonus tracks and you know additional material on them um usually those have been like you know alternative versions or or demo versions or things like that like you know and in the past you know they did put out the three anthology albums that had Mm -hmm. kind of like a lot of odds and sods on it um but you you kind of feel like the they they would have put out they would have put they would they would have already plundered the vaults that's what it sounds like yeah it's it sounds like the well has been tapped or at least it's been tapped to the quality that the living beatles and yoko ono are willing to allow out in the world yeah like the Um, the 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 family the estate of george harrison his his wife and his his family and yoko ono who you know uh, is responsible for the estate of John Lennon and then obviously Paul and Ringo like they all need to agree on whatever comes out I would assume so you know uh the fact that we have this kind of says something about what all four of those entities think of this song and yeah. what it means it's um, also allowing Paul and Ringo to sort of set the like you know the line while they're still here yeah of what they want to be out there like them billing this the final Beatles song means that Paul and Ringo would like it to be the final Beatles song because they approved that wording you know yeah and so anything that comes out after is like we weren't they weren't trying to put that out basically and and, I mean they don't need the money uh, no, they do not. No, no, they none sure of, don't. None of these organizations <laughs> need the no, money. So it truly is for it is fan service at this point. This song is fan service. That's what it is. And um, that you're right. Um, in the 90s, I think they really wanted to keep that legacy of like hit making and number ones go. And it was the number one collection and all that. And I feel like now it's like, here's a nice song that well, we would like to give you. I will agree, but also slightly disagree. I think um, in the 1980s, um, I think there was a general kind of um, interpretation that there was a disarray in the shepherding of the Beatles catalog. Um, And that continued on up until kind of like the 90s, because you had to get all these entities to agree on what they were going to do with their catalog. 
Are we going to reissue all of their albums on CD? Are we going to digitally remaster them? Are we going to put out deluxe versions? And the Beatles were always kind of behind on all of those mm. endeavors. Like, remember how how big of a deal it was when when they hit Spotify, when they hit Spotify, when they were finally on iTunes, when yep. they finally they when they find when they remastered um digitally remastered all of their albums on cd like the mono and stereo boxes yeah. all these things came later in general yeah. for them like remember how big of a deal it was that the beatles were on guitar hero like yeah like so rock I, band rock thank you um mm -hmm. there was like a whole beatles wasn't there like a beatles rock band edition yeah, yeah it was a yeah. whole game um so those those all of that was to refresh and bring to light the catalog, the existing catalog. In addition to that, things like the anthology series, Anthology 1, 2, and 3, The Beatles Live at the BBC, the number one album, which was all of their number ones in the UK and the US collected on one compilation album, which was an enormous success, number one on the Billboard 200. All of those albums and projects were designed to reach a new audience, maybe people that didn't know about the Beatles or didn't have any Beatles material. And I think that's kind of what like this now and then moment is both serving as a fan service moment, but also a way to make them newsworthy and 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 get mm -hmm. to maybe the teens who haven't bothered to look for the Beatles lately, you know? Oh, man, look for the Beatles, y'all. You see, my parents are were huge fans. One of the reasons why I was a fan from childhood, but it was really the first band that I um, like loved and needed to hear every last thing from. Like I bought their CDs. I bought those CDs with my own money. Um, my parents had the records, but I needed to have the CDs. So you're right. This Hopefully this is something, a moment when, if nothing else, a Beatle loving parent can tell their kid like, oh, the Beatles, like, listen to this, whatever. Um, um, I, and I, I took my mom to see Paul McCartney in concert, too, which was very fun. What, this weekend? Uh, no, no, um, <laughs> no. But she no, I took her to see one of his solo concerts um, when I was still living in Michigan. So probably 2005 or something. And I. Uh, they tried to card her when she when she ordered a drink and she was like, I saw the Beatles in 1965 in Indiana. And uh, yeah, but so they let her have the drink, I think. But anyway, that was adorable. I digress. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it isn't. Oh, oh, by the way, amongst all this, we talk about, um, you know, reissues of albums and refreshing of albums. Well, the Beatles are doing that, too. This mm. Friday, uh, uh, they are reissuing their um, first greatest hits albums um the, they the, call them the red and blue albums yeah one has a red cover one has a blue cover one one covers i think it was like 1963 to 66 or 64 to 66 and the other one is 67 to 70 um mm -hmm. and initially well i mean obviously back in the 70s I don't know how many vinyl LPs they were at the time, um, but they were very successful. They went to numbers one and two on the Billboard 200. I can't remember which one hit number one and which one hit number two. Um, or was it number one and number three? Anyway, I'm now falling apart. However, um, they're reissuing the albums this Friday. Each of them will have additional bonus tracks from those respective eras. So um, they... I got to hear some of that too, oh, you by did. the way. And I don't like I feel like, you know, now and then is, of course, getting a lot of the attention um, in the news. They obviously announced the red and blue re-releases at the same time. But it, oh, like it needs to be said that 
what I heard sounded so incredible that it truly it felt like listening to like songs for the first time ever because they sounded so new and good and it's all the the Dolby Atmos um technology so I just want to say that for again people who are obsessed with the Beatles it will like it's like a brand new experience of listening to some of your favorite Beatles songs hearing Mm. these songs redone it's just absolutely mind-boggling um I will correct myself and say that uh the blue album uh 1967 to 1970 uh hit number one on the billboard 200 and the red album 1962 to 1966 reached number three so um and is now and then going to be on the blue album keith yes which doesn't really make any sense because it was recorded well after 1970 but yeah you know you know we'll let them we'll let them have it it's weird. Well, it's it's kind. Of, it's like a, yeah. Like it seems like they were trying to find a place to put this song, even though they didn't put "Free as a Bird" or "Real Love." They're songs from the '90s on either of these when they could have, I suppose. Right. Right. Um, to me, it seems like this could have been an opportunity for like a new greatest hits album from mm. the Beatles. Like there, there really are only three real Beatles career spanning greatest hits calling the the red and the blue album and the ones number ones collection yeah that's it yeah. and like one because of the construct of the album where it's literally only number ones you're missing a wealth of material that is essential yeah the red and the blue they are basically like the the best sort of survey of the Beatles at the time but now they're even better because there's even more music on it that they just couldn't fit on those albums initially however one could make an argument for something that bridges the gap between those two like where you have kind of all the essential humongous hits plus the things that maybe were not singles and you put together some like 40 song like two cd sort of thing that isn't red and blue that isn't one but somewhere in between and then maybe you literally call the album now and then because that would be fun and it could be the final song on the album or the first song on the album yeah but that's just me Um, trying to play you know god with you know the beatles catalog and i I, I don't work there i do have to say i really like that title now and then and i'm sure that they did too (laughs) like really feeling like it represents you know all of it um but before we move on i i have to bring up the music video too because i haven't talked to you have you watched the music video keith i did I've, i've watched it a few times i've listened to the song a few times were you as stunned as i was when you first watched it to like all of a sudden see these you know like live john and george dancing alongside very whimsically you know in the video well okay so i had read peter jackson peter jackson by the way oscar-winning director of the lord of the rings trilogy among many other films music video he's ever directed he directed this music video and his uh special effects team at weta you know did their magical wonders to put all four of the beatles together in a video he in his statement before the video came out specifically said they were not going to use actors to portray the beatles they were not going to um use a lot of cgi to kind of fabricate things they didn't right. they were going to animate them they were right. going to use actual footage so i'm like okay i've already at that point i had set my sights sort of low and i'm like okay it's going to be a bunch of archival footage 
of the Beatles from different eras cobbled together, and it'll probably look very nice. And that's basically what it is. I it was nice. It was fun to it's see. It's very cheeky. It's like very, the whole thing. It's very cheeky. Um, in the sense where you have sort of these jokey moments where you're taking old footage of John or actually all four of them, frankly, mm-hmm. um, where they're in their Sergeant Pepper's outfits or they're mm-hmm. like sort of like, you know, Paul is like taking off his shirt a little seductively towards the camera, yeah. showing a little shoulder action while um, while they're sort of standing next to either their kind of present day or recent ish, like 90s version so like Paul is standing next to Paul or John might be right. standing next to the other the John. Or at one point you actually see bunches of Beatles kind of walking around each other, moving yep. instruments and parts. And so um, it's fun to sort of just have that visual of all of them together in kind of like a goofy, fun way, because the Beatles were very goofy a lot of the time. You know, people kind of forget that. It's like, oh, a very serious band. Like, yeah, they're also very jokey and very prankstery at the same time. So I thought it was fun. I guess I didn't get emotional or anything watching the video. No, I literally, well, that's what I was going to say. I think, I think you're right that it fits the vibe of like them being so playful, um, you know, when they were all together, I think it fits them, but it maybe didn't fit the song because the song felt a little more emotional. And then all of a sudden, so I think for me, I had a little bit of whiplash hearing the song without the video for the first time. And then watching the video, I was like, not expecting the video to be goofy in any yeah. way. And then it was very purposefully goofy. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I thought it was great, but I also thought, ooh, people are going to have some things to say about this video. And I think the general reaction was that it was just silly, which um is what Peter Jackson was probably going for. Peter Jackson could have taken footage of John Lennon from the seventies and like and animated like aged him up or a- something or whatever, or, or like made him sing the, the, the lyrics now mm. and then, but he didn't yeah. do that probably because he thought it would be unseemly or weird yep. or, you yep. know, so he, yep. he, he did, he did, I think probably what, what everyone thought was appropriate to do. You yep. know? Yep. Anyway, we've talked I'm a lot just about happy this. to have, yeah, this is, uh, these are topics I could talk a lot about. This is the Taylor Swift and Beatles episode that Katie's always dreamed of. <laughs> Let's uh, go to the chart chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we already did the chart chat. Oh, wait, no, oh. you mean the chart stat of the week. Oh, sorry. Let's go to the chart stat of the week. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week, as Katie just sort of introduced for us collectively. Um, we're going to go back to Taylor Swift for a moment. Um, it's uh, one of these fun quiz Katie things I enjoy doing. Um, and I think Katie's going to get the answer because this is in her era of working at Billboard. Mm. And it also blends together something she is very familiar with, which is Taylor Swift. So, Katie. Which of these four songs from the original 1989 album did not reach the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100? Your choices are Out of the Woods, Shake It Off, Style, and Wildest Dreams. Which of those four didn't actually hit the top 10? Hmm. My first guess is Out of the Woods, just because it was like a ladder single. Is that right? That's a great guess. Because it didn't hit the top 10. It hit the top 20, (laughs) but it didn't go top 10. Um, This week, by the way, Gary, in his story about the Hot 100, notes how both the re-recording of Style and the re-recording of Bad Blood are both in the top 10 of the Hot 100. And that's the first time Taylor has taken any of the uh, re-recorded 
previous versions, you know, the, you know, of her songs back to the top 10. So, um, you know, they Wait, went top- I need this. So you're saying when style was originally released, it was top 10. And now the, the Taylor's version of style is top 10. Yes. And so the difference thing between with bad blood. this is me just, okay. This is me just saying this, uh, like from a fan perspective, uh, we are not counting. Oh, all too well never went to top ten when it was originally released because that right. was obviously a number one from the red um, Taylor's version. Okay, right there we go. That's yeah, a, the, that's a fun fun stat. The the, the closest she gotten was something from the Fearless album, which I guess hit like number eleven uh, on the re-record. Okay. Um, anyway, so there you go. There's chart stat of the week. A little uh, throwback to 1989 and uh, quizzing Katie on which of those songs at the top ten. That was just so seamless. <laughs> okay uh another supersized episode but it's about taylor swift and the beatles it's hard to top that um what are we excited about uh this week in terms of new music that's coming out this friday anything else we should say what is coming out this friday i don't even know <laughs> or what came out last friday that we haven't talked about oh actually wait wait, wait. keith Dua Lipa comes out this week, right? Um, um, Houdini, her new song. Yeah, Houdini, um, which yeah. we don't. Oh, yeah, we talked a little bit about it last week, or did we not? I don't think we knew the title. No, we no, we I don't. We we definitely like talked. We didn't know anything though, no. but now we know that it's called Houdini. I love I love um, our breathless updates each week, where we know nothing or we know a little bit, and then we just just ramble about it. Oh, now we have a title and a release date. We have a title, and apparently, per her Instagram, she is doing three special events. Um, starting this week in London, and then she's doing one in LA and maybe New York or New York. somewhere. So, Keith, do you happen to be in London right now? Okay, full disclosure, I'm in London. <laughs> um, have I been invited to this thing? No, I have not. Well, I um, haven't been invited to the LA one either. You might I need to go to both. I would like to be hopeful that you and I might get an invite to the LA thing, but at the same I time, hope so. you know, it could be one of those like, you have to be a social media influencer like, you know, you know, Donatella Versace basically to show up to this event. And we're not that. <laughs> Versace. Well, you know, she, uh, do they, are friends. Her, they are friends. Do it did have her Versace line her of clothing. La, her La Vicenza collection. Oh, that. Oh, well, if you actually know, <laughs> know the name of it. I know that I know that I briefly looked at how expensive everything was. And I was like, ooh, well, I don't think I can purchase anything from this collection. However lovely it does look on Dua and the other models. OK, so that said, what song should we go out on? A Dua Lipa song, a Beatles song, a Taylor song? Oh my gosh, the options are endless. I did actually want to mention one thing. We we haven't really talked about it on uh, the show other than uh, when we talked to Clive Davis and we talked about how Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody was our number one on the 500 best pop songs of all time staff list. Uh-huh. The week after we did the 100 best songs that never hit the Hot 100. Oh, and I know what number one is on that one. Well, but one of them is uh, one song from the list is the Beatles. Here comes the sun. So I think we should go out on that because basically it just wasn't released as a single. That's, that's the, the end of the reason why it wasn't wasn't on that 100. Well, uh, before we go out on that, I will say I won't tell listeners what the editorial staff voted on 
My, by, by the way, editorial staff does not actually include Keith or anyone from the charts department. These lists were done independently of the charts team. I just want to be very clear about that because lots of, we, people, yes. lots of people have sent me social media messages saying, oh, did you vote for this? Did you have a hand in this? I'm like, I sure didn't. Had nothing to do with me. Had not, We were out of this. So I always want Keith to vote in these things, but yeah, yeah but, church you know, and state over here. You know, we, we couldn't. Um, but I will say, that the list that Katie is referencing where we're talking about Here Comes the Sun, the number one that editorial picked for the biggest non-Hot 100 hit is pretty spectacular. I won't tell you what it is. You should go Just find out for yourself. say what it is. No, because you want the clicks. People should go to billboard.com and read about it. I mean, it's obviously a Madonna song. And we're Just not going to tell you what it there. is. <laughs> we're not going to tell you which one it is. I don't know. Which, which Madonna song that wasn't a Hot 100 hit could possibly be that mm. majestic to be number one? <laughs> I don't know. But and now I'll, let's listen to Here Comes the Sun. <laughs> look, if we can mention Taylor Swift, the Beatles, oh. uh, Madonna, and... Uh, Dua Lipa, all in the same. Oh show? my God, you're right. Those are like four of my <laughs> very favorites. This is four pop shop faves for sure. Um, okay, we'll go out on Here Comes the Sun, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right.